Welcome to the Life in the Front Office podcast powered by Brain Fuel, a cerebral beverage. You can get 30% off with entering the code LIFO30. That's again, L-I-F-O-3-0 at brainfuel.com to receive your promo code off your next purchase of Brain Fuel. Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman. This is part of the Sports ETA Partnership. Really looking forward to launching this. Starting in Indianapolis, we've got Ryan Vaughn, the president of Indianapolis Sports Corporation, and Eric Newberger, the stadium director over at Lucas Oil Stadium. Excited to talk about the madness after March Madness. And we all know it was definitely a year for the books. Um, excited to just you know understand what were some of the successes uh, the lessons learned, maybe the challenges. I know we've got a couple of numbers to dive into in terms of uh, chicken wings and fans and games and COVID tests. So um, nonetheless, Ryan, Eric, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, happy to be here. Thank you. So if you were to describe in one word what March Madness was like this year, what would that word be? Eric, I'll let you go first. I'm going to say it was wild, but it's hard not to use the the term that's in the in the March Madness name itself. It was it was a lot of fun. It's a lot of work. It was crazy. Yeah, I'm going to go with epic. I think uh, definitely a once in a lifetime moment, likely not to be repeated uh, in the future by by us or anyone else for that matter. When you when when both of you and it would also help for our listeners, kind of a perspective of Ryan. What's the Indie Sports Corp's involvement in in the March Madness? And the hosting of it, Eric, obviously being at the stadium, we understand you're hosting, you know, a good chunk of the games, at least this year it was. Um, can you just talk a little bit about, and Eric, you can go first, kind of what the, your involvement is and how it plays a role in March Madness as a whole? Well, we're the venue. So we are the blank palette that uh, NCAA and, and the other partners get to use to, to paint the picture. And we feel like we're the best place to do that so we were really fortunate to be able to have first round second round uh, and then elite eight front and final four in the championship game so we we had more than our share uh, in this venue here in Indianapolis and it was it was great to be a part of it great to work with Ryan and his team to put the event together yeah we're we're of course the sports corporation for the state of Indiana Um, you know, our role primarily is, is to assist with the local organizing committee and all of its many functions. And uh, they are uh, immense and diverse, as you might imagine. It's everything from transportation and public safety and liaison with the city and the state, marketing, creating ancillary community programs, volunteer coordination, um, you know, developing youth initiatives and outreach. So it's, it's pretty broad. I think we had about 250 volunteer members on our local organizing committee. And of course, we're a staff of 25 as well. So it's uh, quite a bit of work. Yeah, needless to say, Eric, you said a lot of work um, and, and kind of crazy. There's a lot of people that it takes to, to put something like this on. Not only, you know, the venue itself, but the hotels, the restaurants, even in the local community. I mean, um, talk a little bit about some of the challenges you had going into this version of March Madness that maybe you didn't have in others in the past? Well, from the stadium perspective, we, we really worked hard to try to make sure that on January 6th, I believe it was when it became official that, that everything was 
was coming, we wanted to make sure we were ready. So we worked with the NCAA on the plans. Uh, we ended up dividing the venue into two and operating it as two distinct venues, which was um, something special. And, and then we work with our partners who serve hot dogs, uh, secure the building. Uh, it's a cast of thousands and, and they really live for these moments. And so I was really trying to uh, get the passion that the team has for the event uh, into, into a format that worked with the strange conditions that we were all operating under this year. Brian, what was the community like? Was it different than years past? Were you able to have more volunteers, less? Yeah, it was really challenging. I, you know, um, I think the biggest challenge for us was uh, the, the ability, inability to communicate in advance to our volunteers and to the community around what they could expect. You know, we were we were sort of building this plane as we were flying it uh, in many instances. And so, uh, you know, we knew we were going to, you know, in early December, we, we were basically told by the NCAA and others, we think there'll be very limited volunteer opportunities. And as we started to peel back the layers on the onion with them and started to think about how we could see this opportunity in its broadest context. You know, we found ourselves, you know, 35 days later posting 5,000 volunteer ships that needed to be defined and filled, you know, within a week's time in order to execute it. So, you know, making um, you know, decisions and communicating on incomplete information on a compressed time frame uh, was certainly one of the biggest challenges. Well, and you're communicating to people that they're not getting paid by you. They're not working for you. I mean, they're just giving their time, right, to help the community for this event. So if someone just says, you know what, I, I don't really want to do this anymore, you don't really have a say. <laughs> yeah, you know, quite the opposite was our challenge, really. I mean, very early on when it was announced, um, we had so many people from the community, whether they were longtime volunteers, just general supporters of our mission, or people who just realized that this was really kind of a once-in-a-lifetime moment for Indianapolis, reach out and say, I'll take work off. What can I do to help? And the frustrating part uh, for the first couple of weeks was I had no good answer for them because uh, we couldn't really kind of wrap our heads around what the what those opportunities were going to look like. And and they varied quite a bit. I mean, we had people that literally worked through a day of game and human signage. And we had some folks who took three and a half weeks off of work and lived inside the controlled environment away from their family and friends. So the level of commitments and, and all they had to give varied a great deal. But early on, just being unable to uh, effectively tell them what that is and what that opportunity meant what was, was challenging. Yeah, I don't know if I, like, if you said, okay, you've got three or four weeks of PTO, go anywhere in the world that you want. I'm not, I don't know if being in a bubble in a controlled environment is like the first place on vacation I'm going, right? Yeah, you know, there was a lot of people that I will tell you initially were very excited about the opportunity and, um, as it played out, we had to pare those roles down considerably for obvious reasons, but I'll never forget the advice that the NCA, Dr. Emmerich and Joy and Scott gave us. And they really gleaned it from the folks who spent their time inside the bubble for Orlando and the NBA is that it seems like an exciting opportunity for a week. But once you get into week two and three and three and a half, you know, some of these mundane tasks you're repeating while very important are in fact mundane. Uh, and so there's, you just have to be very transparent with folks when they're, what they're walking into. Yeah, no doubt. When you, when you first kind of embarked on this journey, what did success look like? And then how did, what success look like change? Eric? Well, we, I think from the beginning, 
the, the goal in our building and throughout the city was we wanted to get to the finish line. We really wanted to be crowning a champion in Lucas Oil Stadium on April 5th. And I think anything less than that would would have been, it could have been very disappointing. And so we, we worked really hard to make sure that the protocols that the health experts uh, helped us craft uh, were executed. And we were able to do that. And it, you know, one team out of the 68 uh, didn't, didn't make a, uh, their game. But other than that, um, we were very successful. And so from that perspective, we crowned a champion April 5th. Um, we were happy with that and found that to be a, a big success. Yeah, in the event world, you're just like, okay, like, let's just make it happen. Like the, if the event goes on and it happens and it finishes, we're good. In this case, you have a little bit more to worry about. Ryan, the, the you know, just kind of even the perspective of the event in the community and just how it was perceived and that sort of thing. Like, what was the success to the city of Indianapolis as a whole from, you know, start to finish? Yeah, I think, you know, we approached day one through the eyes of what our event rights partner of the NCAA was telling us. And, and to Eric's point, it's like we have 67 games that need to be played on time and complete. Um, and, you know, they need our logistical help and all of that to make that possible. Uh, so we were all very focused on that outcome. But what, what success became was, you know, as we began to organize around executing the games, we started to ask ourselves the questions that we ask ourselves around every event pre-pandemic, which was, how do we make this special and unique, especially knowing that, you know, again, it's this once in a lifetime moment for Indy in a time when, frankly, any other major city in America would be dying to have this opportunity. And you know, lots of downtowns uh, were suffering with, with people working from home. And so success for us then became about how do we re-engage our own community to come back downtown and be part of this event, whether they're volunteering or they're coming to restaurants or they're participating in arts performances. And then how do we, um, be the best host possible to all the media from around the country who are going to travel to Indy and potentially be in a downtown uh, for the first time uh, on their own right in, in, in several months. And how do we make that an enjoyable, engaging experience so they have great things to say about our city? And I feel like we were able to do both of those really well. And, and uh, you know, the media reporting out has been uh, fantastic, which we're very pleased with. And the community... Uh, was thrilled with the result. I mean, many of them came back downtown, frankly, since the first time since last March, um, and they saw you know, how we were able to reinvigorate and really reinforce the importance of our mission uh, in our city. Eric, when you think about the game day and, and what the game day represents, you had a little bit of practice with the Colts season, so you kind of had an idea of like, okay, you know, games going on, events happening, but then you had 173,592 fans walk through venues within the state of Indiana. Um, I mean, can you just explain what was different this time in that sense of uh, 173,000 seems like a lot, but that was actually only 26% of what, what, you know, people in attendance for 2019. So explain that to us. What, I mean, how do you go about, you know, welcoming that many people in this, you know, timeframe? Well, we consider ourselves lucky that um, one, we've been hosting publicly ticketed events since July. And so to your point, um, what we were doing in July 
evolved into what we ended up doing in March. And uh, we had a bit of a warm up with the second most important basketball tournament in the country, the, the Big Ten basketball tournament the week before, which materialized even later. And uh, what we found is there is a huge appetite for um, the, the live sporting experience, uh, particularly many of the Big Ten schools had not had an opportunity to see their team play for a year. Um, and so that energy was felt. And the reason that many of us are in this business is because of that energy, that big event energy. And uh, this had that in every possible way um, from the first tip. Um, and you know, even though we didn't have a full house of over 70,000 people for the final four, like we had planned some years ago, what we did have is that event energy and you wouldn't have known it. Um, it felt it felt full. It was more than anybody had been around for a long time. It was executed safely, effectively. Um, so it was really a build uh, from July through March and April. Ryan, as, as you've had, you know, other events that you guys operate around the state as well, were there any lessons that you learned from even some of the small ones that you were able to take into March Madness? Oh yeah, most definitely. I, you know, we um, we actually started down this idea of creating a bubble for basketball in in late fall. Um, inside the convention center, we we built two courts and really put a kind of a white paper out there to the college basketball community and said, "Hey, if you need a place to play a game in a controlled environment, you know, uh, we're happy to host you." And 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 we did that with the intent of learning all that we could on the, on the front end, knowing that it would probably apply at some level on the back end. And so we hosted the USA basketball or, or FIBA tournaments. Uh, we hosted a couple of college games and NTEs in that, in that space. And really the logistics around um, testing, reporting, you know, uh, you know, there's, it's a lot more than just walking into a room and having someone stick a swab up your nose. There's, 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 there's a whole element to that, that uh, we were able to really, dive in early on, get good partners, take away best practices, environmental sanitations, working with our own health department on what they would uh, tolerate, what they would encourage, what they would not. Uh, and all of that became easily translatable to uh, Big Ten, Horizon League, and then of course, March Madness in the NCAA. And I can't imagine, you know, that was, I was on a much smaller scale, right? That was four teams, a couple of games. You know, if we would have had to uh, learn on the fly when we were hosting 67 games, uh, it would have been a much rougher journey. So I'm glad we started early for sure. If I would have told you 28,311 tests, where were you storing those? I mean, like that, that takes up a lot of space. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I think that testing number is for the folks inside the controlled environment, right? So those are the folks that are tested daily there was also a considerable amount of testing outside of the controlled environment. So the people that work, you know, for Eric and Lucas Oil Stadium, all six venues, my staff, certain volunteers. And so it was really kind of two separate parallel paths. There's what IU Health was doing and storing those tests, you know, of course, in the convention center. Then there's really what we were all administering. And, and uh, you know, thankfully, we as a community, whether it was the venues, the host institutions or us, came together and really worked on that testing program outside of the bubble. Uh, I don't know how many tests we did. Uh, several, several thousand. I can tell you that. And Eric can certainly say that, that as well. That, that yeah. number becomes a lot bigger for sure. Right, absolutely. Yeah. Eric, um, you know, as you think about the biggest surprise of the event as a whole, 
And, and now that you've had a couple of weeks to kind of sit back, think, you know, analyze, talk to people, what was the biggest surprise in all of the madness? Uh, I would tell you that it felt a lot more natural to go to go through the month than I would have expected back in January when we were, um, you know, pulling our hair out, trying to figure out how to solve small problems along the way. The planning, the way that this community works together, it really fired on all cylinders during the entire month. And so uh, for us to be able to report that, that there, is, there, there weren't um, any disasters, uh, that there weren't any um, close calls on, on anything that, that would have impacted the, the fundamental parts of the tournament, uh, I'd be surprised to tell you that if you had asked me that um, a month before. So, yeah, the, the way this group works together, it's, it's really remarkable. Ryan, biggest surprise on your end? Uh, a similar answer. I, I think the most surprising thing to me were like the things I thought would be the biggest challenges were the easiestly resolved. And the things I thought were going to be easy to resolve, like how do we take care of laundry, end up being the biggest challenges. Right? <laughs> and so it, it was just a little bit uh, atypical. I mean, we, we certainly not hosting an event on that size during the pandemic. And uh, I think the fact that the big issues were resolved smoothly speaks to what Eric was talking about. The community is used to working together to tackle big things. I think the little issues becoming challenging is, is that we didn't really have a history of thinking about some of those smaller things uh, in the COVID world, the protocols necessary. And those became time consuming. They were very, very important. Um, and so it'd be hard to call them little, but they became some of the bigger challenges. You know, I, as we wrap up, I, I'm thinking about just how it impacts the industry as a whole, right? What's the biggest lesson learned that you can give to someone else running an event that's six months from now or, or three months from now in that the industry usually helps one another out, right? And they kind of, you know, they're able to host something and hey, this is what we learned, best practices, here you go, you know, how, good, good luck, right? And um, every city's different, every operation's different. So there's definitely nuances um, as you've mentioned, but if you had one lesson to give to any, any executive, um, anyone who's running an event of this caliber, of this size, What's the event that you give to them more on like a personal level of, hey, Eric, you said you were pulling your, your hair out. How'd you manage the stress throughout all of this? Um, you know, what'd you eat? Did you exercise? Like how, any of that stuff? Well, from my perspective, I, I go back to uh, something I hear my, my kids' coaches say, um, and that's your control your attitude and your effort. And, and that really goes a long way pulling your hair out. Um, that's, that's, uh, all a little bit part of the process in, in big events. Anyway, uh, you throw in this dynamic, it, 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 it only helps to, to go into it with a good attitude and to put your all into it. And then all the training, all the, the events, all the, um, passion that we have for sports here, it all comes through in the execution. Yeah, I would echo that from our side. You know, we, when uh, the pandemic started in late March of 2020, our former board chairman, Scott Dorsey, uh, uh, told us all, and, and, and uh, he was the leader of a you know, large company, said it's the, it's the teams with the strongest culture that will survive this. And so we made his priority you know, one every single day uh, through 2020 to just hammer our culture. We focused on the, what we call the three C's. 
be positive, be productive, and be progressive, meaning control your attitude, bring that positive spirit to work every day, be productive, which is you know high quality work delivered on time, and be progressive, which is always be willing to learn and share your learnings with others. And so those are just the mantra that we kind of hammered and it. Uh, it really helped us, I think, stay focused on not dwelling in the, you know, the angst of the pandemic, but really focused on how we get out of it. I was waiting for one of you to say, I drank this many cups of coffee a day, or I didn't get that many, you know, that many hours of sleep, but I did this. No, those are, those are all great pieces of advice. I think, Eric, to your point about the attitude and effort with someone, you know, something that coaches say to the young kids, like, that's something that do, goes, you know, with you throughout your entire life, right? It's not just when you're playing Little League or, or AAU basketball. Um, and Ryan, I think the positivity, such a crucial, you know, point, uh, because there's so many things, as you guys have pointed out, that could have gone wrong, uh, that you got to be positive, regardless of, of what's going on and, and how it's happening. So rapid fire to wrap up. Um, Ryan, your favorite event that has happened thus far in Indianapolis outside of March Madness? And no, the Big Ten tournament is not an answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, uh, Big Ten football championship was, uh, was, was a, great, a great event. Yeah, I actually think for 2020, the first event we did back, uh, it's called the Indy Ultimate. It's a, a, it's a it's sort of a run walk downtown that goes through all of our major sporting venues and cultural places. And you actually get to participate uh, in the sport that takes place there. So you can kick a field goal at Lucas Oil Stadium and, and uh, run the bases at uh, Victory Field. But for us, that was our first, that was July of 2020. And we said, hey, we can, we're going to start doing participatory events. We're going to make them safe and see if people show up and what they think. And it went really well. And it was really sort of something that lit our candle for the rest of the year. Eric, what do you got? Well, if we're talking uh, 2020, it would have to be the Indy 11. It, it, um, being back with people in the building, um, we were the first, the USL was the first league in the, in the country to be back like that. It was exciting. It felt like the beginning of something. Um, I love the Indy 11 and it, it was a fun July. What's the event you're looking most forward to? And, and, and I might be trying to plug Susan here with the uh, college football playoff, but maybe I'm not. Uh, I'm sure I can speak for both, both Ryan and I that we're really looking forward to January of, of this next year when we have the college football playoff national championship game. Um, that has the potential to be uh, uh, the most exciting thing that's happened around here since March Madness. Yeah, I think it'll be, it'll be awesome to kind of, within the same, you know, four week period, three and a half week period, host the Big Ten football championship um, and then roll right into the college football uh, national championship game. That'll really be a special time. And then, you know, uh, frankly, right after that, we roll right back into Big Ten basketball again. So, you know, it's it's that first quarter of the year that it's always kind of hair on fire, but it's it's fun to it's fun to start with the college football championship for sure. What's the restaurant downtown that you like? It's a must or it's a favorite. I mean, I know Cafe Patachu uh, is definitely a good spot, but you got any favorites? Yeah, I mean, that, if I said anything other than St. Elmo's, everyone in our community would know that I'm being dishonest since I'm there probably twice a week. But, the, you know, the, the shrimp cocktail at St. Elmo's is legendary. Um, they're an institution in our city, great steakhouse. Eric, you got a go-to spot? 
Well, you know, other than St. Elmo, I was just giving some advice to some visitors from out of town today that the, the, the Cunningham group that does a number of restaurants in Indianapolis, Vita, Mesh, and Livery. I, I recommended all three of those today to some visitors, <laughs> favorite of mine. If there's one event that hasn't happened in India yet, but it's possible, you just got to make it happen. What's that event? What sport? What what entertainment? You got you got to have something that's on the wish list. Well, I think Eric and I—I I don't want to speak for Eric, but we certainly kept our eye on the growth and development of the NFL draft. That would be a really cool opportunity sometime in the future. Um, you know, Eric you already, and I are both. You have the combine, uh, right? You already have the that? I said you have the combine too. We do, yeah. It'd be nice to uh, you know just kind of run the circle there. <laughs> I posted all of their properties; would be fantastic. Uh, Eric and I are both former swimmers, and we love the Olympic movement. So, you know, a premier championship um, around Olympic swimming would be pretty, pretty cool as well. Yeah, I, I echo that. Um, both of those things. Um, love our friends in the NFL. We'd love to see them here more. And there's nothing more exciting to me than Olympic year swimming. Well, Ryan, Eric, really appreciate uh, all of your thoughts, perspectives on the madness of the madness this year. Um, certainly look forward to, to seeing uh, and even probably talking to you post the college football playoff uh, here back on the podcast, perhaps, uh, and kind of see what some learnings you had from that. But certainly excited to see that happen uh, upcoming towards the end of the year. And uh, best of luck with the upcoming events in 2021. Awesome. Great to be with you. Thank you. Thank you, Jake. Hey, podcast listeners. Brain Fuel is a cerebral beverage that helps you find your flow state, enhance mental focus, and cognitive endurance. Elevate the brain and the body. To get yours, visit brainfuel.com and enter the code LIFO30 at your checkout to get your brain fuel today.